Before we start, I just want to read our morning uh, text this morning. Uh, and, and throughout Advent, uh, all of the Bethany locations, we will we'll be going through uh, a few chapters in Romans. And, and we're kicking off this series called Hope Breaks Through. So our Advent text is this idea that hope is going to break through in, in all aspects of our lives. And, and for many of us, there's places in our lives where we just yearn for hope. And, and it's ironic to believe that in this season where hope should be so full, we should be so full of hope and so full of joy that uh, oftentimes uh, this season, instead of doing that, it's oftentimes a reminder of how lonely and anxious and depressed uh, and how difficult this season might be. And so this whole Advent series on this idea of hope breaking through hopefully is an encouragement to all of us that during this season, as we anticipate Christ's arrival, that it should bring us joy, that, that Christ's birth has the last word, even in all aspects of our lives where we feel like God is so far away. And so our text this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, and let me just read a few verses to you right now. It says this, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For, for in this hope, we are saved. Let me read that again. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Let me just pray for our time. God, thank you so much <clears throat> that during this season of Advent, as we anticipate your arrival, as we celebrate your birth, that we are reminded that along with that comes hope. And for many of us in this room sitting here, we, we need that. We desperately need to be reminded to be hopeful people and that in and through you, you give us that. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning we again talk about this idea of hope breaking through in our lives, and in each week we'll talk about different aspects of hope breaking through. Uh, this morning we talk about unbelief. We talk about unbelief, hope breaking through our unbelief. Now I know this is a loaded topic, uh, and there's so many rabbit trails that we can go into, uh, but again, as I was saying earlier, that during this season, a season uh, when we should be uh, most hopeful and feel the most joy, for some reason... It becomes the opposite. The antithetical emotions become heightened during this time. And if we're being really honest with ourselves, and I'm being honest with myself as well, is that we've all wrestled through seasons of unbelief. And, you know, and that comes in all shapes and different sizes. Maybe it's an unbelief in God. And if you're here and you have no idea about God and you don't even know if you believe in God, I just want to say thank you for being here. 
Thank you for taking a chance on showing up Sunday morning. And for some of us, we are followers of Jesus. But we don't believe, we have this unbelief that God will actually come through. Because there's places in our lives that we've wrestled with and struggled with, not only days, but weeks and years. And and for many of us, our entire lives. And yet we ask, God, where are you? And so we may follow Jesus, and we proclaim that Jesus is God in our lives, yet we don't believe that God will come through. And maybe some of us here, we, we, we know that God loves us, or we know that God loves people, and God loves everybody else, but we have a hard time believing that God loves me. Yeah, yeah sure, God loves everybody else, but, but oftentimes we have a difficult time believing that God sees us through the lens of worthiness and love. We have a difficult time believing in that. And so whether you feel that right now, I know that we felt that before, I know that in the future, these feelings of disbelief, of unbelief, God, where are you, will come. And it's a tough season to be in. And in that season, all we want is a sign, all we want is some hope, which we're talking about today, is God, where are, God, give me something. Have we ever prayed that before? I know that I have. God, give, give me a clue, give me something, throw me a piece of bread here, give me something. We all yearn for that piece of hope that transcends our disbelief. And there's something about that yearning that is so sacred and so divine I remember a couple of years ago, I went on uh, a, a backpacking trip to uh, Glacier National Park in, uh, in Montana. Uh, and if you've ever been there before, you know how beautiful that place is. And, and I remember it was a good buddy of mine. We went up hiking and we said, okay, there's going to be a couple days and we're going to pack light. So I brought a little water bottle. I brought a little Nalgene to put in my backpack with a few other things. We bought a, uh, a water purifier. And we said, all right, let's do this. It was about a 20-mile hike up and about a 20-mile hike back down. And it was hot. I remember we were going and going. I was drinking out of my Nalgene, and, and, and my friend was also. And probably about 10 to 12 miles in, we put our backpacks down. And we reached in for, well, he, he reached in for his water purifier. And he was looking in his bag. And I was getting a little nervous because, you know, I'm sweating. It's, you know, 90, almost 100 degrees outside. We're just hiking up a hill. For some reason, we think that's fun, walking up a huge hill and walking back down. Uh, that's what we did. That's what we were doing. Uh, and I was like, all right, Dan, what's going on? And he said, you know what, Prentice? I'm so sorry, but I forgot my water purifier. And here we are, uh, finished our water bottle because we realized, well, it's okay if we finish it because we're just going to get some water from the stream. Uh, And yet, here my friend is saying, you know what, Prentice, I'm so sorry, but I forgot the water purifier. And we both kind of had this element of, uh, of panic. And so we're like, all right, well, we're halfway up the mountain. We can't really go back down. I guess we could. Uh, Let's just keep going and just... Hope for a stream. I'm sure we'll run into one. And as we were going, uh, it probably wasn't the brightest idea, but we found something. 
We finally found a stream of water, and yes, I, ideally, we would have loved to put it in an algae and then purify it and then drink it, but we were so parched, we were so thirsty, we ran to the stream, and it's like we, were, we, like we never had water before. We'd stick our hand into the stream and just put water in our mouth and start drinking and drinking because we were so thirsty. And I think about that image. I think about that image, and I, I, I think about myself when there's a season in my life where I say, I yearn for hope. I yearn for that. I want it so bad, especially during this season when we should be reminded of God's glory and God's coming to save us, it says in Romans. And for some of us, we need to become, or we need to get to that place of that desperation. And some of us are there. And some of us have felt the relief that God gives us. It almost feels like, even physically, being so thirsty, almost you know, dying of thirst, dehydrated, and yet coming to the stream of water and receiving life. And it's no wonder that the, all throughout the Bible, uh, it talks about the streams of life, the water of life. There's this representation that, life, uh, that water gives life, it produces life. And, and for us, Dan and myself, running to that stream, we drank that water like never before because we understood that it was giving us life. And for many of us, we need hope uh, from a stream of life that God offers to give us right now, today, while we're sitting in our seats. And we have different stories, all of us, I know it. But one thing for sure is this, is that our need for hope is a universal condition. Our need for a hope is a universal condition. Look what it says in verse 22. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. The words of Paul, uh, what he uses in Romans, seems graphic and yet appropriate. He says the creation, the whole creation groans. Everybody, everything groans in creation. And when I look up the word groan uh, in the dictionary, I love what the dictionary definition says. It says groaning or to groan is an inarticulate sound. It's an inarticulate sound. In response, listen to this, in response to pain or despair. Groaning is an inarticulate sound in response to pain or despair. And Paul understood that, and yet he says the whole creation groans. All of creation has sounds of response and pain or despair. And I don't think anyone can deny that everybody goes through these seasons. Some longer, some shorter, but we all go through these seasons. Maybe it's a death of a loved one. Maybe it's a death of a relationship, death of a job, finances, dreams, and aspirations. And it doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter who you claim as God, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter your cultural background, your ethnicity, doesn't matter your social economics, doesn't matter your age or life stage, we all have seasons of groaning. 
doesn't matter how well you have put together yourself. doesn't matter all the things that you have. Remember a couple years ago, uh, well, when I was in college, my first two years I was at WSU. I'm still mourning a couple weeks ago. Uh, but the Cougs will be back at it next Apple Cup, uh, which I've been saying for several years. But while I was at WSU, I was in a fraternity. Uh, and, and every so often, uh, our pledge class or, or the people that I live with, we get together for kind of a reunion football game. Uh, and a couple years ago in the snow, uh, we, just, we did just that. We went into this grassy field with snow in it, and we started playing football kind of as a reunion, and we kind of talk about our lives and what we've been up to. And for many of them, I've been seen in years and years and years. And I remember uh, catching up with this one, uh, one friend, uh, who has a reputation, even from when we were in college, to have it all put together. I mean, he was a good-looking guy. He comes from a lot of money. He has all the things that, uh, you know, he, he wants. I remember in college at WSU, he was driving around uh, a brand-new Audi. Uh, and so he was one of those guys that had everything just put together. And we connected a couple years ago at that football game. And again, he moved to Arizona, you know, lives in a big house, works in, the, and works in finance, and, and again, just living the life, uh, has everything put together in the world's eyes. And not only that, a couple of years, or actually more than that, probably about four or five years ago from when we had connected, he was even on the show Bachelorette. Uh, this is no joke, and he made it to close to the very end of The Bachelorette. I won't even tell you his name now because he was not a very nice person. Uh, and uh, so all that to say is it felt like he had everything put together. And I remember sitting back uh, after our football game, we're catching up, and he's like, Prince, yeah, I hear you're a pastor now. Yeah. You know, back then there was no way they would have guessed that. Yeah, man, that's, that must be really cool. And then we kind of go over, like, what he's doing. He's working in finance and, you know, making a ton of money. And I was like, man, you, you, must, you must be living the life. You must be happy. You must be so joyful. And he sits back and he says, you know what, Prentice? There's some nights where I feel like I just want to cry. cry. He said, there's some nights. I don't know why, but there's some nights I just want to cry. So, and I'm thinking, I'm shocked. I'm like, you, in the world's eyes, has every, have everything that people want. You have the looks, you have you know, the women, you have all the, all the attraction, you have money, you have a nice, you have all these things, and yet you're sitting back and you're telling me that there's parts of your life where you're not just only unhappy, but deeply, deeply unhappy. And he says, yes. And he goes back to what I do and says, man, life must be good for you. You get to help people. You get to talk about your beliefs because he's not a Christian. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's, I, I do. I find that joyful. I find that a calling in my life. But it was odd or, or maybe surprising for me to hear that this person, who ever since when I was in college to this day, uh, through, the, through the lens of everybody else around him, has everything that anyone would ever want. And yet he says sometimes he has trouble falling asleep. He doesn't know why, because there's something in his heart that is aching. 
It doesn't matter what life gives you or what life doesn't give you. It doesn't matter how life uh, is incredible to you, because some of us in this room, there's everything going on, and I love it. I'm so happy. I mean, just in this room, just even in the, in the past couple of weeks, I've had the privilege to walk alongside people uh, through death of a loved one, through other life situations that I won't say. Uh, and also, there's a couple in here that I'll be marrying in just a couple months. There's all seasons of life here, and yet no matter what, Paul says, we all groan, all creation groans. It's a universal condition that we all have. And it's something that I've wrestled with, even myself, even disbelief. And just as a side note, I don't think disbelief is the end of the world. I don't think disbelief is the opposite of having faith in God. As a matter of fact, I believe that disbelief can actually be a good thing that launches us into wrestling, really wrestling with the truth of who God is. But even so, even in our seasons of groaning, as followers of Jesus, we have hope. As a matter of fact, everybody has hope. And everyone finds hope in different things or in different people. And you wonder why there's this huge statistic about addiction, about abuse, about violence, about all these different things. Because everyone is in search of hope. This idea that it will get better. That it will get better. That's, in essence, the simple definition of hope. This belief that someday, soon, hopefully, it will get better. And we all, A, go through groaning, and B, all have hope. This feeling that it will get better through, though, different avenues. And this is where Advent comes in. Advent is all about this inauguration of hope. That hope isn't in a thing. Hope isn't in something so futuristic. You know, oftentimes we use the word like a wish, right? Uh, man, next year, I hope that the Cougs win the Apple Cup. That will actually probably come true, right? Uh, I hope the Seahawks will go to the Super Bowl. I hope that I get this job. I hope that I make this much. I hope this happens. We use this word as if it was this wishful thinking in the future, when in fact, this idea of hope, biblical hope, isn't about what is in the future, but it's already what's already happened. It's not what will come. It's what has already been done. And the hope isn't in something so fanatical, something, you know, that may or may not happen, but hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ who embodies hope, who came into this earth through a baby. And we celebrate that on Christmas Day. That hope is embodied through the person of Jesus. And I would say this, and I don't know if I'm going outside the bounds of, of good theology, I don't know, but I'm convinced that having hope is greater than having belief. Again, I don't know if that's sound theology, uh, but I am convinced that having hope is greater than having belief. And, and here's what I mean. First of all, hope, having hope 
is bigger than our own intellect. Than our own intellect. Oftentimes, belief, in order to believe, is a result of seeing evidence. Right? So this is where we get to saying, I won't believe it until I what? See it. I won't believe it until I see it. Even Thomas, he goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, is that you? I won't believe it until I see the scars on your wrist, onto your sides. I won't believe it. And Jesus says, look, here's evidence, here's proof, so you now believe. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who have faith, who don't see and yet still believe, which we call hope. Hope is, much, or, uh, hope is bigger than our intellect because belief is based off of what we know, of what we see, off of evidence, off of proof. And I love what it says again in our text. It says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is, unse- hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Who hopes for what? I mean, you don't hope for something you already have. You hope for the things that are unseen. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So here's what it says. Christian hope says, even when I don't see the ending, I'm confident that God will save us. That is essentially what the verse is saying. Of course, that, of course, the things that we hope for, the things that we can't see, otherwise it wouldn't be hope at all. We would ha- it would be belief, right? If we see it, then there's evidence. Great, wonderful. But Jesus says, blessed are those who does not have evidence of what is about to happen, but believe in the hope that comes through me who came through a baby who had died for your sins. Now that is hope. Now that is powerful. It's easy to believe evidence, If we see it, great. It's there. God, you're going to come through. But Jesus is saying, hope is different. Hope is powerful because you are putting in faith in something you don't see. So Christian hope is so different than any other hope. Christian hope says this, even when I don't see the ending, even when I don't see how things will unfold, even when right now I feel this way, anxiety, depression, hurt, pain, anger, unforgiveness, whatever, even though I feel this, and I may not know how it's going to end, I know that it will get better. I'm confident that it says that you will save. It says, for in this hope we were saved. And and I know that we like to talk about this word saved and salvation, and it kind of has a little bit of a bad rap when it comes to, you know, the Christian church and even evangelism. I believe in it. I believe in that we will receive salvation, that we will spend eternity with God after this physical life. Well, but even in the Bible, when we talk about saved and salvation, Paul, the Gospels, and even in the Old Testament, is not only talking about eschatology, so it's not only talking about end times, but they're actually talking about something that is real, something that is happening at that moment in time. At this moment in time, it, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, it was, uh, it was captivity under the Babylonians or other nations. It was slavery. It was a Roman occupation. It was actually hard, difficult times that they were going through. And they believed, they had faith and hope 
that God would save them. Again, not this abstract, uh, strange, uh, esoteric way of save. Like God would actually save them from what they were going through at that moment in time. And so when, uh, oftentimes when the Bible says God will save us, yes, there is an eschatological uh, dimension towards that, meaning after we die that we will be saved to heaven. But bigger than that, probably even more often than that, the Bible talks about the word saved as in you will be saved. God will save, rescue you. God will have the last word. You're groaning Your pain and despair will never have the last word. God will always have the last word. Whether you believe that, whether you see that or not, in Christian hope, hope says, in my groaning, I may not see how it will unfold, but I'm confident that it will get better because God will rescue, God will save me from what's happening. From what's happening. Belief is a result of evidence. Hope is a result of faith. And secondly, hope becomes a foundation for belief anyways. Uh, Hope is the bedrock of belief. I mean, if we look at uh, even the the Advent story in Luke chapter 1, we see disbelief at the Advent story. If you guys remember in Luke chapter 1, an angel, Gabriel, says to, goes to Zechariah and to his wife, Elizabeth, hey, uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be John, and he's going he's to prepare the way for the Messiah. So he said, all right, Zechariah, uh, Elizabeth, bear with me now. You are going to have a son. And they were in shock, in disbelief. And I love Zechariah's response. He says, he says how can I be sure of this? <clears throat> and he says, I am old and so is my wife. Probably not the best way to score points with your wife, right? He says, how can I be sure of this? I am old and so is my wife. I mean, when Angel Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby, uh, Elizabeth, you're going to be pregnant, immediately Zechariah says, no way. And he says in these words, how can I be sure of this? In the Greek, uh, the way that the sentence is structured, it's not in this way of humility, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going to happen. Thank you. It's more of, prove it. Prove it. Angel Gabriel, God, You know how old I am. You know how old my wife is. How can I be sure of this? I need evidence. Immediately we see disbelief from the very beginning of this Advent story. In the second, the same chapter, an angel Gabriel goes up to Mary and Joseph and says, "Uh, Mary, you will be pregnant with the Messiah and you will call him Jesus. And well, Mary paid attention in her biology class, because in verse 35, she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How can I be pregnant? I'm a virgin. And then Gabriel says in verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord. And then Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth and then Mary and Joseph, both couples, 
understood that there was no way that either one of them could get pregnant, Elizabeth or Mary. One was a virgin. One was seemingly too old. And yet in their disbelief, two of them, out of two of them, one of them had a different response. One couple, represented by Zechariah, says, I need evidence. I don't believe you. The other, Mary, says, I love what she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. I mean, even in her heart of hearts, I can imagine her saying, I don't understand how this is going to unfold. I know, I'm thinking, this is what Mary's thinking, I know how science works. I, I can't get pregnant, I can't be pregnant. And yet she says, may your word be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. I may, Mary's saying, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know the end of the story. I, I do have this disbelief, but I have confidence that God, your word will be fulfilled. That your word will be, hope is founded in a promise. In a promise. Not, not a some, something futuristic like we talked about. Not this wishful thinking but hope is founded and grounded and rooted in the promises of God. And that is so important for us to understand and to know, especially during this season of Advent, that when hope breaks through, through the person of Jesus, through a baby, that along with Jesus came promises promises that, again, love, joy, faith will always have the last word. That the cross will always conquer death. And that no matter what season that we're in, whether we're joyful, whether we're groaning, that God loves us and God is for us and God will never leave us. And God has a future for us. All over the Old Testament, even when they were in exile, even when they were in mass exodus, they're saying, God, I can't believe this is happening. And God over and over again says, hey, the story's not over yet. And that is where we find hope. God says over and over, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God says, I love you. You are perfectly created. The New Testament, all over the scriptures, Jesus came for our behalf. Through a becoming a baby, through becoming a human, came to earth to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And then with, that, with, the, with the Christmas story, we, we get the Easter story. You can't have one without the other. Christ died for us. And yet still Emmanuel, God with us. I love that hope is founded in this promise not evidence, evidence and, and proof and things, that can change over time, all the time. You know, there's things that I've believed in the past that I no longer believe because now I have proof it doesn't exist. I remember growing up, I don't know if there's any children in here, but I believed in Santa Claus. Sorry, spoiler alert, if I ruined it for you guys, I apologize. I love Santa Claus, okay. Other things 
where I won't even go there. There's other things in my life where I don't believe anymore because of evidence that I now have. But when things are grounded and grounded in, in, in Scripture, in the promises that God has made, that, this is never-ending. This is unchanging. This, this won't go anywhere. And we go back and find hope in the thing that will never change, and that's all of God's covenant and promise to us. See, more than believe hope, hope is an unstoppable force. Hope is an unstoppable force. I tell stories of my chaplaincy all the time because it was such a big season of my life. When I was living in L.A., I was a chaplain at a, um, trauma, a major trauma center uh, where the people that I would get called to speak with and families were only the families and the people that were going through difficult and, and desperate times. I remember, you know, I would show up into a room and they would see me and when the chaplain showed up, immediately they figured, they, they kind of assumed that something was wrong. I would show up and be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Am I going to die? What's wrong? I'm like, no, I just came to say hello and I wanted to check in. Uh, in the ICU, my nickname was the Grim Reaper uh, because if they saw me, uh, it was an indication, a false indication, that something was terribly wrong. But oftentimes, it was also true where I would encounter people going through some of the most difficult times and illnesses and sicknesses of their lives. And when I would talk to them, especially people of faith and, and their families, they would say something like, I know my grandfather or grandmother or mother or father will probably die, but we have hope that after death, they'll be at a better place. They'll be at a better place. Or there's some people that I, I talk to in, the, in their you know, hospital bed, and they say, you know what? I know that God has something for me in this. I know that God will heal me. I know that God is for me. I know that God loves me. I know that God didn't do this to me. There's somewhere along the line, in, even in the most desperate times, they have hope. And not even death or illness or sickness or even bad news can get in the way of their hope. If they were just depending on belief of proof, then it was easy for them to abandon God. Well, of course God doesn't exist. Why would God make this happen? Why does God do this? Why does God do that? Yes, that's a whole different sermon, but it's easy to go there if everything that we believe in and have faith in is the only things that we can see. But if we have hope, which is grounded not in all these things that can change, but grounded in truth, hope is an unstoppable force. Because hope is not based on what will or what could, but what already has happened. This Advent, Advent, today is our first day of Advent. This reminder that hope has come. And I love that in our text it says this in in Romans it says, but if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. We wait patiently. And some of us, we're in the season of waiting. We're in the season of waiting. 
And, and, and what the scripture says is waiting becomes more doable. We're able to wait well when we understand this idea of hope. That hope will always, always have the last word. So we'll do a couple things. We'll light this Advent candle. There's five candles in Advent. And each Sunday, we light one representing each week. And then this, this year, Advent, or Christmas lands on the last day of Advent, and we'll light two. May today, may this candle, may this light represent in your life the hope that God has for you. The hope that is founded not in what will be or what could be or what should be, but in hope that has already come, and that is through the person of Jesus. So whatever, wherever you're at, whether you're celebrating, whether you're here with so much joy, whether you're groaning, May we as a community believe in the promises of God, that God loves us, God is for us, and God will never abandon us, and God pursues us. And I love that song, that, the reckless song, love, the imagery. I get it every time, that when we feel so far away from hope, that Christ leaves the 99 for you and for me, and he says he kicks down the door. He lights up the darkness to pursue us. And I love that image. And again, I'm going to ask the worship team to, to, to join me as we continue in worship by partaking in communion. There's no Christmas without Easter. And there's no Easter without communion. Though we focus on the birth of Jesus, we know that a purpose of Jesus' birth was to die on our behalf. And we find hope in the entirety of Christ. In Jesus', in Jesus uh, birth, life, teachings, death and resurrection. So I'm going to ask the worship team to, to play a song that helps us reflect. And right now, what are, those, what are those spaces in your life that you need hope? Where are you groaning? Believe that hope is more powerful than evidence. That hope is founded in truth. That it will get better. Maybe this is a message for you. Maybe this is a message for someone you know. And maybe you are in a, in a stage where life is awesome. And that's so wonderful. Praise Jesus. But can you be a beacon of hope for somebody else? And, and I'm going to pray. And as we come to the table, may we remind, be reminded that we have hope in our living God, in our resurrected God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. But as we celebrate Advent, we celebrate you, we celebrate the hope, we 
celebrates you coming into the darkness and creating light. And if this message wasn't for me, if it wasn't for us, God, may you use us to speak to others. In your name we pray. Amen.